It's Tessman, Heath Tessman, now he offloads, he gets the arm free, and this time, Fergus Lee Warner. The fullback puts it on the toe, looking for Placid, Placid with the ears, pinned back, Placid, how's the bounce, it's good, and they're over. Must be very close, the Cavalry arrive to support him, they drive him over, and the try's awarded. Short ball to Deegan, spots the half gap, now he offloads to Kitty Ratu, pops it over the top to McGregor, and oh, McGregor tries to score the try. Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force, global rapid rugby, and the game we love. Give me a ticket for an aeroplane. I eat your take no fast train. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Rugby Wrap as we look back on what was a remarkable week in the soap opera that is Australian rugby. My name's Mick Collis and joining me as always is former Wallaby Mitch Hardy and Western Force hooker Heath Tessman and we'll hear from them very soon. As I said, it was a remarkable week, not only because of the unexpected resignation of Rugby Australia CEO Raylene Castle, but because it coincided with a letter signed by initially 11, but then 10 former Australian rugby captains, all calling for change. One of the captains who didn't put his name to it was a man who led the Wallabies on their famous 1984 Grand Slam tour and in the famous Bledisloe Cup series win on New Zealand soil in 1986, the last time the Wallabies won at Eden Park. That man is Andrew Slack. And Slacky, thanks very much for your time on the Rugby Wrap. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Mick. Now, we'll get to you in a sec. But before we do, Mitch, as a former Wallaby, I want to ask you what you thought when you heard about the letter. And then, Tess, as a current player, your initial reaction. So, Mitch, just quickly, if we can start with you, your first thoughts. Yeah, Mickey, I think, um, you know, I'm from the outside. And if you look at how it was played out in the media, you would have thought that the, the letter was catalyst for the change. And I guess it, it echoed sentiments that um, had been aired in the in the public domain via media, different media channels, um, and they had some pretty influential f- figures that are attached to that that letter as well. And and I think it uh, there's different opinions out there on as to the motivation behind the letter, but I think it had honourable intent. Um, I thought, in particular, Paul McLean handled the the unfolding of the. Um, the dramas last week really, really well as a chairman. Um, it was obviously a very difficult week for him in particular, but I thought he did an excellent job as a rugby fan and supporter that he uh, he did a really good job as a chairman of Rugby Australia in the work that he did in managing the media and obviously managing that situation pretty well. But uh, was the letter the catalyst for Raylene's departure? I would say no, but did it have an influence and bring more things to light for discussion at board level? Probably yes. Okay, and, and Tess, as a, as a current player, your just initial reaction to that letter? Uh, oh, just just one word. I thought it was I thought it was brave. Like um, my my one maybe concerns the wrong word to use, but everything that's happening, as long as it's happening for a good reason, the people pushing uh, aren't pushing themselves. They're not they're not coming with with self interest. They're coming with a real love for the game and a real care for the game and, and wanting to see it get back to its former glory, um, then I'm, I'm all for it. But as long as it's all come from a good place, I'm happy. And I'd, I'd like to echo Mitch's um, his comment as well about uh, Paul McLean. I think he did an excellent job handling not just his, the people around him, but the media as well last week. 
So Slacky, when and how did you first hear about this infamous letter? Um, well, Kernsey texted me, um, but I'll just, before I go on with that, Mitch absolutely nailed it and, and also agree with Heath, and Heath to a degree in terms of being brave. I sometimes think it's probably braver going in the front door than that, but, but everybody, again, as, as Mitch said, was well-intentioned. And, and I think by and large, for all the mess that we found ourselves in, I'm not sure many people have been poorly intentioned. We're just, we've made some errors. But in answer to your question, um, Kernsey sent me a text, and you know I know Kernsey, but I don't know him well. Um, he sent me a text telling me this was happening and said, look at the, the letter, which I did. And um, once I looked at the letter, we then talked. And I said to him, in terms of the wording of the letter, well, I said a couple of things. One was that I'm a very close friend of Paul McLean's. And while Paul and I, I certainly haven't agreed with everything that the board have done or the way they've communicated stuff over, over several years. And, you know, I've had these yarns with Paul. And Paul is, he's Fort Knox. Which is which is fantastic. If you're in a board and you've got to, you know, keep faith and not tell people, you don't. And so he, he's all the things he's proved himself to be, but haven't always agreed with him. But I said to Kernsey exactly that. But you know, I'd feel uncomfortable with a letter arriving, sort of unknown to these people, suddenly out in the media, bagging the bejesus out of out of Paul and all the people who have done things in in good faith. So. I said that firstly, and the second thing I said was, uh, I read it, and and fair points, and you know I I agree about with several things. But he said what we want is a blank sheet of paper, and I said to Kenzie, mate, I don't want a blank sheet of paper. I want paper with solutions on it. Um, and until I see that sort of thing, I, I'd be reluctant to sign it. So so that was the first thing. I then had several conversations, long conversations with Nick, who I'm you know. I'm, I, very very good friend of um, and we had you know we just had differences in terms of the comfort of doing something that way um, but again this is not something that you know six months ten months or two days down the track is going to create some sort of chasm between people or players because we all understand we have different routes to get to where we want to go to um, and you know that it was reasonable that they did it it wasn't something that the way I do stuff, I felt comfortable agreeing to. So, so why do you think they went down that letter route? Obviously, you know, the players, you all, you all know each other. There's a lot of respect there. Why, why did it come to a letter? Why couldn't they have gone through the front door and, and had a meeting? Yeah, excellent question. I mean, and I, I don't have an answer. And this is what, you know, I think we're part of the discussion was, was why don't we just, well, look, in, in honesty, and this is, you know, bothers me that the, the, one of the problems in the modern world, and I'm, as I said to you earlier, I'm excited that I've worked out a Zoom <laughs> chat tonight. It's the first thing I've done IT in my life. But the downside of all these, these platforms is people stop talking. So I, I was having communication with Paul and I was having communication with Nick. And I couldn't quite work out what, and, and I haven't got a commercial bone in my body. I don't understand finance, whatever. But all the, a lot of things in Rugby Australia comes down to finance. So the people who know the finances, financials have to talk with, you, with each other, all the other matters. And so to cut a long story short, eventually I think I was helpful in Nick actually talking to Paul 
and and this is what needs to be done. And then ultimately, after that conversation between Nick and Paul, Nick made the decision that um, he still felt the best way and the group of captains felt the best way was to go the way they went, which is the decision he made and, you know, I respect it. Because, you know, from, from, the, from the, the punter's point of view, it, it almost seemed not bullying, but it was these 10 high-profile players just coming in. I don't know, just, I think, as everyone said, the intention was good, but just the way it was done, and especially how it was sort of the media, the media knew about it before the board knew about it. Yeah, well, that, that's what I'm uncomfortable with. And, um, uh, you know, that's, I, I don't know that it was, was bullying as such, but um, I just don't understand why we, we don't chat about these things and, and just as, you know, go through the front door, basically, as I said. Yeah, for my mind, Mick, it, it would have been interesting if it had unfolded, you know, the reverse way around where the, the meeting would have been held with the captains firstly or, or maybe the letter sent to the Rugby WA board and then as a joint group they say, we've had received this letter, we've had a discussion, these are the, the outcomes of those discussions and then potentially the media gets involved from there. But, um, you know, if the intent of the letter was to instigate change and, and make something happen when obviously, you know, as I said before, I don't think that was the catalyst for Raylene's departure. I think there was a whole series of things. I think Paul alluded to that in his press conference. But I think in your mind, Saki, I tend to agree with you that going through the front door would have been a good option for them. And I do hope that they now follow through with that engagement. And that's, that to me is a critical piece of this is that there's actually some dialogue that occurs with this group in the short, in a very, in the very near future that basically closes the loop on this thing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a major optimist, mate, and I, and I, I think that's what will happen. Um, and I think it was Mick earlier used the word punters. I mean, the, the captain said something. What, what right have the punters got? The punters have got as much right as someone who's captain Australia. I mean, I, I think there's, you know, there's this elitist thing. I understand that, you know, it's going to get publicity and drive. But what Phil Kearns or Jason Little or Nick Far Jones or Andrew Slake thinks about it is... It's no more important than what, you know, Bill at Subiaco or John at South Rugby thinks about where we need to go. And that's, I think, how we need to, to approach things. And, and on the back of that, Rugby Australia needs to communicate much better than they've communicated over the last three years. I think that the lack of communication during that whole Western Force pass, not so much the Falao thing, but, but other elements, has, what has brought us to this point to a degree. Has this thing d- divided rugby Australia even further? Oh, no, you know, as I just said, I'm an optimist. I, I think it's, it's a, you know, it's a public discussion probably that needs to get to where it's got. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I don't know about that. You'll always find people complaining about something, you know. If, you, if you're human, you're going to find time to whinge. Um, and there's been a few things with rugby Australia that, that have. I'm, I'm hoping this, this awful situation that sort of, Fallen on society now may actually be a good thing for rugby, and that we, you know, we, we pull back a bit on how important we think we are. We look at more of the the basic stuff. We 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 minimise things. I mean, you know, everything. Not everything. A lot of things come down to the finances, obviously. And I think players are overpaid. There's too many coaches. There's too much stuff happening. And now that you know we're in a bit of a mess financially. Um, I think we'll suddenly get a the reality dose will help 
rugby in in the long run, and that any you know um, division that you refer to may in fact be minimised. That's that's what I'm hoping. Really, a lot of rubbish happening between now and then, and difficulty. But um, as I say, I can't help but being glass half full. I'm afraid, which is it's you know it's not the easiest time to be that. But I, I just think the game is too good, and and without carrying on too long, the the bottom line to all of this and uh, in Brisbane here I write a Sunday Mail column which which I I did on the weekend which is largely about um, you know the captain's letter and all those things obviously out to you but the last paragraph is about the fact the game needs to improve the the laws of the game need to prevent it from being the stop start thing it too often is so we can compete with AFL which is so non-stop start anyway I've got more response to that column than I've had in 35 years of writing columns and not about the captain's letter, about the law was making the game less stop start. So that's, if we can get that sorted, I don't think it'd be much division at all. Because what, what were some of your, did you have any suggestions? Oh, a million. How long have you got? You know? <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, that's, that's less scrums. He wants less scrums. Scrums keep me in a job. With, with due respect to Heath, I mean, scrums is the big, the big one. And, um, you know, a friend of ours has um, uh, compiled, you know, st- stats between the 87 World Cup and the 2019 World Cup. And it, it's phenomenal. I mean, the penalties from averaging in the, the playoff matches, the penalties from scrums have increased from 5 to 27, collapses when safety is what's most important, have increased from 5 to 40, Resets have increased from 15 to 36. And then we have the referee discussing it, blokes coming on, throwing water out, the clock's ticking down, and all of a sudden, the World Cup that's just finished, we had in the final 36 minutes of actual ball in play time. Mm. And this, so that's one thing. And then there's many others. The offside law, um, don't get me on tap down, and, you know, intentional knock on stuff when I've got the ball and someone knocks it down and he gets sent to the bin. As I say, there's a lot of them I won't go on, but um, the point is I think and now again is a chance for Australian rugby to try and push not, not a radical revolution of the rules, but one so we can compete properly with not just the rugby devotees, but, but your AFL guys and your NRL guys too, who like good sport. It's interesting. That's, that's one thing that... The, I mean, rugby's problem and strength is that it's a global game. So to make changes to the game... It's got all these global approvals that need to go through. But, but Heath, just a lot here from you. When, when Andrew Forrest has come in with Global Rapid Rugby and they've said, we're going to make, we're changing the game, and, and they just, they were able just to do it. That which I thought was a, it was a great thing. It was all about keeping the ball in play more often. Yeah, and I think going off that, was it 36, 37 minutes in the final? Um, Slacky was just touching on, I think. Our, uh, our rapid rugby games are up to 45 minutes. 50, they're pushing that 50 minutes of game in, of ball in play. And that's with a 35-minute half of rugby as well. So um, we're managing to keep the, the rule changes that we've introduced. And I think we still went through the, the, the proper channels to get it all done. It wasn't just all, um, all cowboys just pulling whatever rules we want to play and, and doing it in the wild, wild west, however we want to do it. But we, yeah, we went through the proper channels for it. Um, and I think a big part of it was there are some of the rules that have obviously like uh, likewise rules have been introduced into the NRC with the uh, with the kick from your own half into the 22, like the 
rugby league 40 20 kick um and little rules like that have been brought in so i think we'll probably use as a little bit of a trialing mechanism but at the same time it really played into the the kind of rugby that we wanted to be playing and and putting on for the spectators as well so it worked out for us really well and it has in those statistics with the with the ball in play time and and slacky did you get to have you got a view on how those global rapid rules have adapted or the NRC rules and, and what you've seen there, if you didn't see it? Well, uh, you know, reading into what he just said, I mean, I think basically they're, they're things that we, you know, a few think tanks throw out. We actually see them played in a decent, proper competition. And then we come back to a situation where, um, OK, this one was a goodie, this one was a baddie, and we, we find a final three or four, not too many, or you won't get, you'll get no agreement. So the answer to the question is yes, I think they've been great, the, the changes in rules and all those things or the, the variations. Now we just to move, need to move a little bit more. I, I'm, and, and I buy the point that it is a global game and, and our difficulty is not, again, like, you know, if, if Carlton and the West Coast have a problem with something on Saturday night, the AFL can get together on Monday and, you know, by next Saturday it's sorted by and large. We've got to go through England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. But maybe with the way things are now and having to reorganise the competition and potentially, um, you know, Super 15 being, or Super Rugby being a dead duck and maybe a, an Australian conference just Australian, that we had the ticket to actually do it ourselves from Rugby Australia, say, OK, we'll try a few of these, just like Andrew Forrest has done in the West, and give it to the, the wider public uh, rugby community. And if that works, you know, we've got a voice to throw out there. And, you know, whether or not we get somewhere, I don't know. But I, I, I think the time's right to, to really push it hard. In your discussions with the other captains, because as you said, there weren't really many suggestions, it was the, the game, the rules of the game, or the, those little game changes, something that they, were, that they were thinking about? Was that on their agenda? Look, they may have, um, but it's not really, certainly not. You know, I had a pretty brief conversation with Kernsey 10 or 15 minutes or so, but I had a long, you know, it was an hour-long chat with Nick and then another couple of emails and various things. And we probably never got to that because we were, we were more at the core of whether this way to go is the way to go. Um, so the short answer is probably no. But I, I'd be very surprised if, um, you know, a lot of them didn't agree that there's some updating in the rules. And I actually speak, spoke to Tim Horan yesterday morning, who, again, wasn't asked about it, um, asked about signing the letter. Um, and he too has some strong um, ideas on it. And it's just, you know, look, I just meet people everywhere who are sort of rugby people or interested. And even this, some of the rusted on ones, you know, the rust is cracking. And it's all about the same thing. So it's not just a few of us. I, I think it's, it's so widespread. And um, you know, as I just said before, now's the time to try and do something about it. And, and Saki, it's, it's about trying to make the game more attractive. But do you, think, do you think the focus has gone to that commercial element too much and that we're trying to make the game attractive to TV and spectators rather than make the game attractive to actually play? And that's been at the detriment of the, of the sport. I mean, we talk about lack of depth in playing numbers and young blokes wanting to or young blokes and women wanting to play the game and that growth of the rugby at grassroots level. Do you think we've... we've We've sold the. We've gone down the dollar path rather than actually the enjoyment of playing. Oh, there's definitely you know the dollars you know it's the almighty dollar. But as as a player, as a winger, as a centre, we want the pill, don't we? And um, 
you know, I mean, what and for for Heath as a as a hooker, what we want is more scrums, not fewer. More quick scrums, and from those scrums, and midfield scrum, as we know, is the best way to attack. Let's use that. Let's not try and organise another penalty kick to the corner and have a, a rolling ball and score a try that way. You know, the people with you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and the rest, they, they want the pill. And that from that, we need good, quick scrums. Um, so, look, in, in answer to the question, I think the, the almighty dollar has taken things over and national coaches, is, it's all about just winning and the game has, has sacrificed a bit because of that. And, you know, I, I, just, I just think we need to, to pull back. I mean, I, I don't know what the solution is to greed, to be honest, and, and there's going to be a fair bit of that. But the best greed to get is the one that appeals to the spectators and the broadcasters, because you know, if it's entertaining, if it's moving, the broadcaster is going to pay more dough. More people are going to go to the game, and they're not going to go and watch what too often is a stop-start affair. I'm glad you said that because I hate those those rolling mall tries from a line out five meters out. They do my head in. I reckon they should only be worth three. Oh, points. whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, come on. <laughs> that's that's Heath's best friend's bread and that butter. That takes a lot of skill, that. takes a lot of skill. We're not going to give it to any guys just to drop when we're that close to the line. But I, I think it's three <laughs> yeah. points. Well, well, well it's that. interesting, Heath. I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely a place for it. Um, and my, I, I've got to say, if Queensland are doing it against, you know, the Waratahs mm. of Suncorp Stadium, I'm all for it. You're all for <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, it's bloody good if you're on your on your side. But by and large, from an objective objective point of view, I, I think it's got to be a limited um, points getter in rugby somewhere or other. Maybe more points if we're outside the 22. No, no, no go. We don't want them rolling from halfway. <laughs> well, it might take 25 minutes, but we'll get the seven. <laughs> That'll be the crowds back. Hey, Stuck, you, you talked about the, the greed the greed side of thing. If so, so Raylene, you know, Raylene's gone, whether people liked her or didn't like her, they think she did the job or she didn't do the job. If we get someone else that goes in there at $800,000 a year and we still have 140 full time staff, aren't we just like a hamster on a treadmill just going nowhere? Well, I'm guessing they won't be on 800, and I'm guessing we won't have 140, which is quite, you know, in a, in a sense, it's sad for every individual. If you or I are one of the 140, we're going to be unhappy. But if we're looking at it from a distance, it's been ludicrous how much how many staff we have had. Um, I, I'm anti having a squad of 30 players and 16 staff. You know, coach, assistant coach, seven assistant coach, three physios, four strengthening. You know, all of that. I mean, it's over the top, and I think it demeans a coach's role. Um, so I'd have thought all of I mean, the dough's not going to be there to pay 140, and that's going to cause personal angst for people who have that role and whatever role it might be at Rugby Australia or wherever and have done the best job they can do but their role has been really a superfluous one. We haven't needed a lot of the people that are there and, and we've fallen into the pattern of okay we need someone to have a you know a third level communications media supporter and then someone else. Now if you're that person you're not going to be happy here in the, the reality but I think coronavirus is, is going to have that imprint. Yeah, which is probably a good thing. It's just whether it, there's a, th a few names obviously being bandied around at the moment to take over from Raylene. Do they have that expectation that they would be on the same money as her? And, it, and if, they, if it's only going to be half, will they be as interested as they were 
sort of beforehand? Everyone's making a sacrifice at the moment, mate. And if they're not, they're, you know, they're in another universe. I, yeah. I, I don't know how you work that one out. And as I said earlier in the conversation, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a money man. I wish I understood things better. But I, I was offered a job in stockbroking years ago, so I could keep playing rugby, and I did it for two years. And someone said that I survived the economic holocaust of 1987, although those I advised weren't so fortunate. And that's the truth. So I don't know much about dough. But the reality is you can't give them three pints of milk if you only got one. Yeah. 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 And, and Slacky, what would, um, and I'm going to, you know, this is a bit of a tricky question, but what would be the Andrew Slack three-point plan to get more boys and girls playing the game? Well, I, I think, yeah, I'm not sure about three points. I'm not, a, you know, I haven't got a big enough brain to work those things out in a hurry. <laughs> um, but... Uh, my, my view is that we, we've got to get the Wallabies successful. Now, that's, that's a piece of cake. I mean, Einstein didn't work that out. Um, but, I, I, you know, to, to get the Western Australians who aren't rugby people but are per, you know, dockers and eagles but, and the people in Melbourne who are, you know, part-time watchers, the Wallabies is important. I know they keep talking about go from the bottom up and that's right, but we do have to have the Wallabies. I think what's going to happen now, well, no, what might what I'd like to happen ideally is that the bottom no not the bottom tier the third tier the club tier is now strengthened by some of that staff we're just talking about who no longer got a job as you know the, the assistant backs coach for the for the rebels he's suddenly back at clubland he's doing another job you know back similar to the amateur time he's got to find another job I know that's hard but his expertise is down there at club level. We're playing an intra-Australian um, uh, provincial con uh, conference or contest or whatever, competition. So we're, the fours are playing the Rebels. There's six of us playing. And if Mitch Hardy's not in the 15 or the 23, he's going to play for you know, the, the club on the, on the Sunday after the game. So we're going to have the club thing's going to be strengthened. That's going to be better. The middle tier, the provincial stuff, maybe not as, not as, I don't know, important or, or great, but broadcasters got to have something. And then the Wallabies on top of that. And with that, I'm afraid, I think we're going to have to follow the soccer lead of, again, using you. Heath Thurston's playing for um, London Irish, but he's the best hooker we've got. He's only played one test, but we're going to allow him to come back. And then the national coaches have got to say, okay, well, we don't need a six-week camp leading into the test match because the London Irish boss is not going to let Heath go for six weeks. So somehow or other, we've got a lot of connections. Now, I know that off-the-top-of-the-head kind of scenario and hypothesis has a lot of little gullies to traverse. But, you know, that's, that's what I'd love to see happen vaguely where the... The club stuff sees great players play a lot. We have a strong provincial, tribal kind of provincial thing. And then we use people from the overseas and they take the money if they want to take it. And they come back and the Wallabies are strong. That's, but, you know, I'd buy that it's a bit utopian. Well, it's worked before. Well, sort of. Yeah, it sort of has. Heath, you got a question or some thoughts on that? Oh, uh, not really too many thoughts on that. Like, I was going to ask Lucky if you want to be my manager while we're talking about 
getting me over and playing for London Irish, but the pound's not going too well, is it? There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of but Irish in market torture. <laughs> it's it's I, I agree with I agree I do agree with Andrew though it's a tough one it's a bit of a kind of chicken or the egg thought like we we keep talking about having the, our roots really strong but to get stronger roots obviously we need to have that success at the top level so that kids are aspiring to want to play for the Wallabies and they're seeing these guys on free to air TV hopefully um watching them play and then aspiring them and then going down to their park that weekend but then obviously like we touched on last week um when we were having a chat it it's where do these next wallabies come from where do we inspire these kids where are the kids that were looking to be this next group of wallabies come through and inspire the next generation to play at the the world cup in 15 years time like where are they going to be coming from and how do we get them on board yeah, well, it kind of leads into yeah. what oh now you go ahead no, I just kind of say, but mate, we've got we've got a lot of good players. I mean, do, do you not think that the, what we've got here now? So before coronavirus raised its head, that we didn't have potentially a pretty good Wallaby side. I think we do. I think we have. I think we have a lot of. We have very good players, but maybe not a lot of good players. I don't think we have the depth of other countries that other countries do, and I. I don't think, and the stats are there with just the juniors that are playing the game nowadays, like the numbers that are dropping off, it's it's going to feed into the future. So whether it's in eight years' time, 12 years' time, we're still going to have excellent players at, at the very top, but it's it's that next kind of level of players which we're, we're going to be missing. And so if we do lose some of those top players, the guys that replace them, um, uh, you know, have, have got to learn and catch up pretty quickly. Yeah, well, it's, I, I I can't argue with that, but that's you know that's the case of you just have to you got to do what you got to do. Um, so anyway, I mean we could argue or, not, or debate it or not, but I, I I do think just because something's difficult difficult doesn't mean it can't be done. Absolutely. And I think the opportunity there, the opportunity there lies with some of the the really good talent that's coming through. You look at a young kid like Harry Wilson. Jordan Patea, those sort of kids. We want those players, once they've finished with their provincial rugby, really contributing to club rugby. Um, and, you know, the Fraser McWrights and those sort of guys who are young blokes that have proven themselves at senior level, they've played their, they've done their apprenticeship, so to speak, in senior rugby. Um, and then they offer back to their club and their club environment, in which case then it can potentially inspire others. At the same time, yeah. you know, really building on their talent, and we we try and retain them without signing them up for long term ridiculous deals. I mean, I mean that's mm. that's one of my issues with where Australian rugby's gone wrong is that they've been so paranoid about losing talent that they've forgotten about the rest and looking after yeah. the rest. So lose yeah. lose one to keep twenty. You know what I mean? So I think I mm. think it's real opportunities with the the base that's there to do something with it. But we also need to be prepared to lose a few, lose a few along the way. And if people want to go, that's fine. Yeah. If you're good enough, then yeah, potentially there's scope to bring them back in to the Wallaby fold if they're that good. But you know, we've we've got to really build from what's within Australia and what's available to us. Yeah, I mean, I, probably I'm probably going on too much here. But one other thing that came in the head, that a bit of a bug there in mind. I'm not a World Cup under twenty fan. I, I think those kids should be back playing for the clubs. 
playing against 28-year-olds and 26-year-olds. It's um, I know that. So our last um, Australian team got in the final, and you know so many of these have been signed up. I, I I just think they're better off playing for Eastwood or whoever against gnarly old 28-year-olds and, and learning the ropes that way. And I, I I just I think if you're going to play for Australia, you're playing for Australia. You're not playing for Australia under 20s or anything else. Maybe Australian schoolboys. I'll buy that. And then the next Australian team you play for is the Wallabies. Anything in between, no, I don't buy. But again, there'd be a lot of people <laughs> wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, and, and in fairness, if I, had, if I had a son good enough to play and was, was 19 and eligible, I'd probably love it and want him to do it. But I just think in the bigger picture, it's not worthwhile. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that, Saki. I think, you know, we, we, we always, well, we tend to, Australian rugby tends to fall in the trap of as soon as our kids get to that level of Australian 20s and they do well or whatever, everyone's all over them like the cheap shoot. But it doesn't mean that mm. they're a good senior player in hardened conditions, which is what you're really striving no. to try and get. I mean, it's great for those kids to pull on a gold jersey and play against other countries and all the rest of it, but it shouldn't be the be-all end-all that then justifies a, uh, a professional contract. I agree. Well, Slucky, mate, we will let you go. We really appreciate your time. It's a real pleasure to, to speak to someone like yourself about rugby. As you said, we could hang around all night and have a chat, but we know you Queenslanders have got to get to bed. So, mate, thank you very much for your time, your time tonight and, and, and stay safe over these troubled times and hopefully rugby can bounce back as we all want it to. It will. And lovely to chat to you all. Thank you very much, Bob. So that was Andrew Slack, the former Wallaby captain. And we had a couple of questions, so thanks to the people that did come in, but I think he, he kind of answered them. Nathan Kelly wanted to know, do the rules of rugby need to change in Australia to keep up the tempo of league and AFL? And, and I think Andrew Slack, that was certainly one of his bugbears. And, and Greg Dowden wanted to know why he didn't support his fellow Wallaby captains. And I think he answered that one pretty well. So, you know, guys like... He's Slack, obviously been on the Facebook page, mate. He's on the Facebook page. He's reading them all ahead of time. Just another yeah, man. There's a couple here for you tonight too. Uh, test, mate. So we'll get to Yeah, I should probably follow. Maybe I should follow the Facebook page. <laughs> so the first one, the first one's from Craig. He's got a couple of questions here, Tess, which I think you're well positioned mm-hmm. to answer. Um, yeah, if the borders I'm open sure up, with New, <laughs> if the borders open up with New Zealand, would the Western Force be dumped from a domestic comp? So, in other words, what's your thoughts on going down that domestic route, and then all of a sudden New Zealand say, "Yep, yeah, we're ready to go." and the Western Force gets dumped. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I, I don't think that will have an effect this year for us. Um, if, if, the, if the opportunity arose for us to be involved in an international competition or an international competition was going to go ahead between Australia and New Zealand, I, I still think they would more than likely want to have the uh, even five-on-five teams for, for pools. Um, and whether or not the Sunwolves would be able to be involved, like they'd probably be the last team that would be able to be involved in a competition of that scope. So I think uh, I don't think it would really affect, have an effect on us this year. Um, obviously, going down the track, like right now, our focus is whatever rugby we can be a part of this year, being a part of it. But then 2021, our focus is switching back into into global rapid rugby and making sure it's as successful as it can be in whatever form that it's going to be um, going in, hopefully bigger and, and, and better than you know, the brief um, view we saw of it this year. But 
Yeah, to, to answer that question, I, I can't see it having too much effect on us. Uh, and and we're definitely hoping that, that it doesn't. Like, we, we're really looking forward to, um, to, to not only playing some rugby, but getting out there and being able to test ourselves against the other teams, the other professional teams in Australia. Because we've got the NRL, have, NRL have come out, they've said May 28 for their competition start. The AFL are talking about their player hubs. What's your wife told you about where rugby might be restarting <laughs> in this domestic comp? I thought, I thought, I thought that date the NRL came out with was when Josh Adokar was going camping. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I think we're we're looking a little bit further down the track. Um, uh, I, I don't think I think the rugby Australia obviously with everything else that's going on, but they're not coming out and trying to put pressure on or make a big statement by putting a date out there. But we've we've been told that we're looking for sometime during July, probably middle to late July, and that that's been pretty firm for oh, a few weeks now, probably getting close to a month. So it's it's a conservative start date. But uh, I think with all the states, like obviously rugby league can push a bit harder because they're mainly focused through New South Wales and, and then with the fewer teams in Queensland and, and Victoria, like with the teams all across Australia, like including us for the, for the national competition, I think they've been a little bit more conservative with their planning for it. And um, obviously the number of games as well, we don't need to get back as quickly as possible because we've, we'll be only looking at probably something like, if, you know, five teams, maybe something like a 10, oh eight to 10 game season, like a home and away competition. Um, with a couple of finals, maybe, or whether it's a first past the post or, you know, top two payoff. Mm. I don't know. And then, and then we're like potentially looking at, Heath, you know, you might play that comp and then play some sort of version of the NRC and then have a bit of a break and then you're back into global rapid rugby early in 21, potentially. So do you think the organisation, the player depth, um, will be able to cope with transitioning from one comp to the next to the next with very short turnarounds? Uh, yeah, I think I think it will. For us, it, it won't be too much of a problem. Like, we'll um, if if it kind of pans out that way, if we manage to squeeze in an NRC competition as well. That suits us fine. Um, like, because the the way the rules have been abridged uh, for NRC are pretty similar to what we the way we want to play for for rapid rugby anyway. And then we, we've discussed as a group, even when we do go into well, when we hopefully go into this national competition, like. Just because we're playing the older style rules as a five minutes extra half, we don't really want to change what we're doing too much. Just to try and suit the comp. We still want to play high tempo, entertaining rugby. Um, so, like it, it'll suit us from the point of view that the style of rugby we won't really need to change. We might just be able to kick it out a little bit more and give us a blow. So, it'll help us a little bit. But um, going forward, like I know that our S and C guys and all our coaching staff, when I say all our coaching staff. We don't have the 18 assistant coaches that everyone else on the East Coast manages to keep. Um, but, you know, we're, we're already talking about planning and, and where we'll be able to kind of manage loads to make sure that if we get to, once we get through one comp into another comp, how we can come through as fresh as we can for, for Rapid Rugby next year. And they might even have, they might even um, be related to when the start date for Rapid Rugby is as well. Like, it's been murdered that it'll be, it was going to be sometime in March. So, you know, it could be, that could be March there. That could be the, the 28th of March, which would make a huge difference for our prep as well. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And one, and then, one, one question, it's just more of a comment. What, when, everyone, when we talk about domestic competitions, why do people always talk about Japan or the Pacific Islanders in our domestic comp? Isn't that, 
creating a, 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 a problem that we don't need? Uh, personally, I think um, uh, it's. I think we should be focusing on the domestic, but I think it's the entertainment factor that bringing someone like, like a Fiji or someone has. Um, you, you've automatically got, maybe not from a financial point of view, but you have a well-supported team um, who's going to play good attacking, running rugby, and is going to. There's going and there's you know big groups of Fijians in every city as well. So then you're going to get more people going to to every game to go and watch their Fijian team that are playing there. So I think I think that's probably a big part of the reason why. Like we, we're looking at the Pacific nations. Um, Japan, oh, I'm not really sure. It could be. I mean, it could be they've got the setup in place already. They've got the, like like, like Mark said the other week, they've got the money as well. They're going to come through this pretty well. So yeah. if, if they want to be involved, then I'm sure that they can afford to be involved, which is going to be just as important. You know, and I guess the fine balance, Mick, is is you know, do you do you include countries like Japan and the various you know development teams they might put into a domestic comp like that? You know, you're compromising what you could do for Australia by bringing them in, and you're probably strengthening Japan rugby yeah. by doing that. So you know, you look at Fiji being able to have the Fiji Drua in. That's in no. In my mind, it's no doubt strengthening Fiji and rugby, but I'm not against that because they don't have the rugby economy to support something themselves. Whereas Japan has a rugby economy that's, you know, that's quite well regarded and and respected. Um, so they've got the rugby economy to support their own development. Um, Fiji, on the other hand, probably don't. They don't have corporate teams running around Fiji. Mm. They've got to use what they can get to, you know. So, so I kind of support the Fiji idea. Idea more than the Japan idea, but you need those Japanese connections to get the eyes on the telly and the bums on seats and the corporate dollars. So it's it's weighing up that fine balance in my view. Well, I can certainly see it in anything like the Global Rapid Rugby. That that all makes sense. But just when we're talking about just a domestic comp, it just seems strange to just have that added cost. And that again, I mean, the time zones are pretty good with with Asia, so that's probably not a drama. But just logistically, it just seems like a a problem that they probably don't need at the moment. Yeah, and and Heath, just on the on the pathway side of things, if we do go down this domestic comp side of things, and you know, all fun aside, and I'm sure you you might get a, a couple of beers and a free dinner over this, but do you think there's any players in the Western Force setup that would be capable of going to the next level? I mean, if you're looking at the domestic comp, they've got to pick a Wallaby team from somewhere, and if the Western Force is in that, do you think there's guys in your current squad that would transition into a Wallaby squad? I mean, uh, it's, you don't yeah, have to use yeah. it. You can say a blanket yes or no. But uh, <laughs> you can I, use I definitely do. Um, I definitely do. I definitely think uh, there, there are a couple of guys who are, if they were playing super rugby, I think they would definitely be looking at getting, they would be knocking on the door. Um, I, I saw, I didn't read it, but I saw how Dave Rennie had, was already looking at announcing a squad. And I think if these guys had been playing Super Rugby this year, um, that, yeah, they would probably be in and around that those lists. Um, a guy like Fergus Lee Warner comes to mind, who uh, he, he, you know, obviously he plays a lot for us, gets through a mountain of work. Um, I think he, he plays a lot more a lot for us just because it, it fills our need. But I think he could be he could be a Wally Six for the next decade if he gets an opportunity in the... In the gold colours, he's got he's got the physique, he's got the engine for it. Um, yeah, he's just 
tough as nails, one of those guys that rolls up his sleeves and, and does all the work. Um, I think as well, there, there's probably a few guys who who would be, who oh, whether or not by, I say unfortunately, unfortunately for Australia, but a guy like Henry Tafu came to mind, but obviously he's he's been to a World Cup with Samar, so he's not going to be playing all these yeah. for us. He's just another one of those guys that maybe doesn't get the recognition, but he, he does so much work. Uh, both on and off the field and, and the stuff he does is just really appreciated by the group and he's someone that, that you know when he is given more of an opportunity like he was last year, he, he performs at the, at the highest level possible. Um, there's definitely a, a couple of other guys who are maybe not like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be afraid to put someone like Ferg in a squad this year but then within 18 months we've probably got another two or three guys who are close to being there and, and I think we'll probably unearth a couple more getting getting some of these guys a, a chance to play against some of these other super teams as well this year. I think that'll be the, the big one where we'll be able to take a lot of notice. Um, you know, with, with playing the different styles of rugby, it's always hard to see how it will transition over because it's, it's not just my old age, but you forget, you know, you forget the, the intricacies of one little style to the other pretty quickly. So it's, it's interesting. It would be interesting to see how some of these young guys, when they are in a super, or if they were in a super, level or give an opportunity in a Wallaby squad how they would perform. Because I saw the same, I saw the article saying that yeah, Dave Rennie and the assistant coaches had, had put together a squad and the, the headline was that Kirtley Bill, he wasn't in it as opposed to who was in it. Do you know, did they, I mean you may not know, you may know, did, did they did they consider the Western Force? Did they look at the Western Force list and think, okay, some of these guys or were they are they ignored? No, I, I, I don't know. Um, Let's just, let's just say for argument's sake, because we're all really one-eyed here, that they're ignored. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's hard to benchmark Wallaby status versus a one game of global rapid rugby versus five rounds of super rugby. Mm. So I think, yeah, I, I, I would imagine there wouldn't be too many Western Force players that would have been looked at based on one game of global rapid rugby. Mm. If they were taking into consideration some of the form of the guys from last year's NRC as yeah. potential development players that you can actually do something with. And I'm glad you mentioned Fergus Lee Warner, Heath, because I thought he was standout in the NRC. But, um, but yeah, you'd, you'd like to think if you're going to embrace Australian, an Australian rugby philosophy, that you'd be worthwhile having a punt on a couple of guys to at least bring into a camp scenario with the Wallabies from the West. Um, and that then opens the door for progression of the game back to where I guess the aspirations were back when the Western Force was put here about making this um, part of Australia part of the Australian pathway. And, you know, you could you can end up with scenarios like Dickie Hardwick coming home to Western Australia because there's a domestic comp. And he says, yep, yeah, I'd love to be back home and I'd love to play for the Western Force because that was my, my team when I first came through. And Same with Dane, you know, like Petty. Yeah, maybe. But, um, <laughs> we but, um, couldn't afford him. Carl <laughs> Goldwyn's carving up overseas. I mean, you look at young Zach Holmes, yeah. who was a young kid playing sevens um, in the pathway program. A little bit of Western Force went over, um, and he's playing in the European top 14. Yeah, top 14. So, you know, there's, there's blokes around, and all of a sudden the Western Force is back on people's lips. As a, I mean, you know, Heath, it's a great place to live, it's a good training environment. Um, the culture of the place, you guys have done a lot of work on maintaining a really good player coach training culture. Um, so I think, you know, you, you look at all the positives of that and by being in a domestic comp, it does 
then broaden those opportunities for further Wallaby selection, in my view. All right, gentlemen, that's been, that was good tonight. I thought Slacky was, was terrific and that domestic stuff, it's, um, look, it's exciting. I think there's, there are a lot of bright things on the future for the game. It's just hopefully they can come to fruition, but it does all start with, with actually getting people playing the game. And as you said, we've got some good pathways and the Wallabies playing well. Things could be rosy, but I don't think it's going to be happening overnight. So, Mitch, thanks for your time. Tess, thanks for yours. We'll look forward now. I believe you're going to have a new segment next week, Tess. Can you, can you fill us in on that? <laughs> oh, I'll see if I can twiddle something up. But, um, yeah, we'll try and catch up with a few of the players so that everyone can, you know, start to learn some of their squad members a little bit better. I'll, have to, I'll be buying a few coffees to bribe guys to come and talk to me. But hopefully we'll be able to... Hopefully we'll be able to so, the social distancing rules have been relaxed a little bit, mate. You can have groups of 10. So we're expecting, you know, to be able to leverage off that heat and get some uh, banter from some of the boys and, and maybe uh, get a few more insights from the, what they've been up to, yeah? I mean, Ferg's going to have to come on next week after... Well, we've just talked him up. Today, so he's he's going to have to, so he can't say no to me if I ask him, can he? <laughs> And we'll have Nathan Sharp, former Western Force skipper, will be will be our special guest next week as well. So another bumper show coming up. So that'll do us for tonight. Again, if you do have any questions, thanks for those people that did put in, either on the Facebook page, the Rugby Wrap, or on Twitter at Rugby underscore Wrap, and we will ask any questions that do get thrown up. So again, thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Tess. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll catch you next week.